Well, you know, on first glance, it would appear like you and I are being given a bit of a break today from all of the intensity uh, of the conversations these past couple weeks. Uh, If you've been here, you know that we've launched into uh, another section of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, what we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this section is devoted to looking at issues not at the surface level, not from the perspective of, you know, outward religious activity, but looking at them deeply at a, at a heart level, looking at them from the inside out. And uh, we've called this journey uh, heart condition because that's what it's been really challenging us to look at. In these last three weeks, when Jesus has had us look at areas like anger and lust and divorce and marriage, um, you know, he's thrown some real challenges that have pierced many of us. You know, it feels like as deep as we can go. And uh, this morning in this next section of conversation that Jesus wants to address, it it appears on first glance like we get a break from all that intensity because Jesus is talking about something that, uh, again, on first glance, doesn't appear like it's all that common in our day and age. It was the practice in his culture of oath-keeping. Of oath-keeping. Look at what he says in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5, he says again, meaning another subject, again, you've heard uh, that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. See, in Jesus' day, it was common practice to affirm statements, to kind of authenticate promises or commitments with oaths, you know, making oaths, meaning by swearing on Something uh, We don't do this too often in, in our culture outside of giving testimony in a courtroom. You know, you put your hand on the Bible and you, you don't just give your testimony. You swear, first of all, that, you know, what you're going to say is the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So I hope you God. And you're kind of swearing on the Bible or you're swearing to God. And, and in Jesus' culture, that was much more pervasive. But, but because it was so pervasive, it had kind of uh, taken on a life of its own. Uh, and, you know, scholars will tell you that there were actually two kind of classes or categories of oaths. There were the, like, the really serious oaths that you made, uh, you know, in some fo- spiritual form, either to God or, you know, swearing by God or by heaven or in some sort of spiritual form. And then there was this second class of oaths that had almost become like punctuation in the same way that we say, you know, I swear to God and it d- doesn't really mean anything. You know, people would you know, swear on their camel or swear on their house or swear by, you know, the city that they lived in. And, and, and it had become so pervasive that it, it, it had lost all its meaning in Jesus' culture. And so I suppose not surprisingly, he says in verse 34 that, you know, even though you, you've heard that these oaths are supposed to mean something, he says, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And he's kind of inventorying or auditing a sampling of some of the things that people in his culture swore on when they made these semi-meaningful, but mostly meaningless oaths. And you see those two categories there, the spiritual ones where people swear by heaven and such, and these 
you know, other really bizarre ones where people swore on behalf of all kinds of stuff. And he says, you know, either way you need to realize his rationale and kind of eradicating these O's. Uh, you need to realize that, you know, anything on earth or in heaven is under the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. And so ultimately, because it's all God's, any oath that you swear is swearing to God. And you get the sense that what Jesus is hoping for at first glance is that the language, the vocabulary of his culture would change. Reminds me of a time uh, in the early years of working here at the church where some friends of mine and I realized that there was this habit among us and among a number of people that we talked to to preface certain statements with the, the phrase, to be honest. Any of you use that, that statement where you'll be talking and then you say, well, you know, to be honest, and then you'll say something else. And we thought about that back then. We thought, you know, that's kind of bizarre because it suggests that, you know, it's only in that intermittent little moment that we're being honest and the rest of the time we're not and we don't want to be that. And so what, what we tried to do was to, to kind of dare and challenge and hold each other to account to kind of weed that phrase out of our language and these days you know we're really sensitive to it and and certainly try not to say it instead we'll say you know to be clear or to be blunt or to be frank if we're if we're trying to use a greater degree of candor but we we don't necessarily want to be uh you know clarifying the 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 rare moments where we're actually deliberately trying to be honest and and you know in a similar way I feel like that you know up to this point that's what Jesus is going for he's trying to get these loose oath keeper mostly oath breaker people um, to change their vocabulary but all of a sudden as we read on we realize that Jesus in this way as well as the others that we've looked at in the last number of weeks Jesus is looking for us to look at the very core of our hearts and in verse 37, he says this. He says, all you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All of a sudden, you get the sense that Jesus is addressing something that in his mind is much more than just a vocabulary issue. And what you need to appreciate is that Jesus is, is recognizing in his day and age that this lax practice of oath-keeping was having a greater impact on people and on society. Because it wasn't just the legitimacy of these oaths that were breaking down. It was the legitimacy of people. It was the legitimacy of their credibility. It was the legitimacy of their integrity. And you'll notice that that's why Jesus goes to this heart level. You know, Jesus doesn't want them to just reclaim the integrity of oaths. That's why he says, you heard it said in the Old Testament of the Bible that you're supposed to keep your oaths. That, that, that's kind of assumed. But he doesn't want to stop there because his goal isn't just to restore oath keeping. His goal is to restore honesty because in this lax culture of saying things and authenticating with these oaths that really didn't mean anything people were saying like you know seriously and for real and I promise and I pinky promise and none of it was really meaning anything and he was trying to speak into what had become a culture of liars a culture of liars 
Now, I use that word uh, deliberately because that word, I think, invokes uh, a whole different set of emotions than, you know, being lax in, in oath-keeping. And in our society, um, we take lying pretty seriously. We know that lying is more than just vocabulary. It's more than just a communication strategy. Lying is something that happens in here. You know, it's the result of a certain heart, much like Jesus said later in Matthew in chapter 12, where he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And we can appreciate that lying isn't just an issue of language. Lying is an issue of the heart. And as a culture, not just as a church society, as a, as a culture, we take lying very seriously. It's like the primary offense in our day, isn't it? You think about the, the headlines even recently and... You know, some of the, you know, crack, cocaine, smoking mayors and, you know, Senate expense drama and steroid use in sports and all of these other scandals. And you realize what has made them scandalous is not necessarily just the behavior itself, as much as that behavior may be frowned upon in general by society. What is ultimately consistently scandalous are the lies are the cover-ups, are the denials until it's proven without a shadow of a doubt. And it, it's the lying that as a society we disdain the most. And I think what Jesus is trying to address isn't just the scandalous nature of lying. Jesus is trying to address the scandal that we may not be aware of. And that is that lying affects all of us. That, that in fact, it's not just celebrities that we see, you know, in the news and in the, in the headlines that struggle with lying. We all struggle with lying. There is a liar in all of us a lot of the time. And uh, that's part of what God wants us to look at today as we address the heart condition of our, of our honesty did you know statistically that uh, people will tell three lies every 10 minutes on average? You know, you and I on average lie about every third minute. Conversely, we are statistically, uh, we are lied to on average every five minutes, which I find interesting that on average humans tell more lies than they receive. But if you think about that, whether you know it or not, we are lied to about 200 times a day. Um, studies have shown that in resumes, uh, about 25% of resumes don't just contain a little bit of fudging or highlighting. They contain outright what would be categorized as gross misinformation about the candidate. You know, studies have suggested that there are up to approximately 2 million Americans who have offshore bank accounts to conceal funds, either, you know, from the government or from their spouse or Somebody else, um, it was estimated last year that around $6 billion, $6 billion was lost in America alone simply through the piracy of cable TV. You think about that and you start to realize how pervasively scandalous the phenomenon of lying actually is. And you start to realize, you know what, that person that we want to kind of Describe out there as a liar. Um, that person, if I 
If I'm honest with myself, that person is me. That person is us. Now to break the tension for just a moment, I want to take a look at a, at a clip from a video uh, made a number of years ago starring Jim Carrey called Liar Liar that tried to uh, kind of make light but at the same time address the reality of some of the challenges of living a life of honesty. And so in this clip, it's, it's fairly short, um, take a look at it and ask yourself how many of these instances modeled by Jim Carrey's character, how many of these instances represent your daily life and some of the choices you make as well? Check it out. Uh, how many of us wanted to do that? <laughs> because so much of our day is spent behaving like that, isn't it? You know, being that person who kind of, you know, avoids at the last minute kind of telling the honest truth. And just so we're clear, you know, it's not just the headlines, it's not just society that, that behaves like this. It, it would be interesting to see how much the phenomenon of lying, you know, still exists and pervades, you know, church communities, people of faith like ours. I, I, this would be some kind of sick, twisted initiative, but I, I would love to know what it would be like to attach lie detector tests, you know, those polygraphs to us and, and, and have us wander around the, the reception areas and the lobbies and the auditoriums of our, of our locations. And can you imagine what that 15 minutes would be like as we were interacting with each other? You know, I'm just imagining a bunch of us saying, you know, well, how's it going? How was your week? Oh, my week was great. It's fantastic. <clears throat> Lie. I'm doing terribly and really struggling. I didn't sleep last night, but I'm too afraid to tell you. And, and then you hear someone say, you know, they're thinking of making this choice or they're doing this with their life. And you're thinking, oh, that's wonderful. Good for you. <clears throat> that's a lie. I think that's terrible and counterproductive to your life, but I'm too afraid to tell you. And, and then there's the home run and, you know, Christendom, isn't there, where we look at someone and we say, oh, you know, that's too bad. I'll pray for you. <clears throat> that's a lie. I haven't had a quiet time in a month, but I can't tell you that. So obviously I can't tell you that I'm not going to pray for you because I'm not even praying for me. Like, gang, we do this. We do this, and Jesus is saying we do this because our heart, in our heart condition, we are this. And the sober reality this morning is that you and I, in our heart of hearts, whether we like to admit it or not, we lie because there is a liar in each of us. You know, we don't even like to, to admit that. We want to lie about that and, and concede that, you know, once in a while we kind of fudge the truth and we embellish the truth and, you know, once in a while we exaggerate the truth and for sure we, from time to time, withhold the truth and conceal the truth and soften the truth and we massage the truth, but... Let's concede that the manipulation of the truth in the same way that Jesus' culture was treating those commitments and oaths so lax. Let's, let's, let's concede that treating the truth that lax has made liars out of you and me. That you and I and us together and our society at large have a liar living in our hearts. And so the question is, where did that come from? And more importantly, what can we do about it? And so we want to evaluate, you know, our heart condition. And, uh, you know, for sure, you know, if you look at it from a psychological level, uh, psychologists will say that lying is a function of two, you know, interior motivations. One is fear, where, you know, because we're afraid of the consequences or the implications of telling the truth, we will avoid 
telling the truth and the other is desire. We want something so badly we're prepared to compromise our integrity or our credibility because of it. And, you know, for sure that's true. But coming back to the passage today, Jesus would point to something even deeper that's going on in our hearts. Let's look back at verse 37 of Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus had said, all you need to say is simply yes or no because he says anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And what Jesus is acknowledging is the unseen reality in the spiritual realm of our lives and world that there is in existence an enemy of God. Uh, an enemy of God, what Jesus refers to as the evil one, who exists in the world to thwart and uh, kind of adversely affect, to get in the way of, to damage, to destroy the work, the goodness of God. And, and I don't know if you've ever considered that before. You know, you've Obviously, you're here because you're at least entertaining the existence of God, whether you've entertained the existence of the enemy of God. Spiritually speaking, from the Bible's perspective, uh, they talk about the enemy of God many times. And many times, interestingly enough, when they talk about the enemy of God, they refer to him as synonymous with the characteristic of lying. You know, this is like the chief attribute of the enemy of God. Look at John 8, 44. Jesus says there, there is no truth in the devil, the spiritual enemy of God. When he lies, Jesus says he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. You think back to the story of Adam and Eve, whether you're all that familiar with the Bible or not. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve and how the serpent, the enemy of God, came up and slightly and so subtly but so significantly manipulated the truth. And they bought into that lie. And sin entered the world. And since then, we've all been gripped by that sin condition where the enemy of God has a hold on each of our lives to some degree. And you contrast that characteristic, that fundamental attribute of the enemy of God with the fundamental attribute or one of the fundamental attributes of the God of the Bible, where in Titus 1, 2, among other places, it says God does not lie. God fundamentally embodies truth, and God's truth is the ultimate capital T truth contrasted with the enemy of God where there is no truth in him and his native tongue is lying because he is the liar and the father of lies. And you realize that at its core, what honesty is all about, what the choice to lie or tell the truth is all about, is in our hearts a choice of who we follow, a choice of whom we're trusting. That's why it says in the scriptures in 2 Thessalonians that people perish. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. You know, in a sense, they're abandoning God, but more importantly, they're abandoning the truth and believing a lie. They're abandoning God and allowing the father of lies to whisper lies into us and to believe lies instead of the truth. And what following Jesus Christ ultimately is, is in our minds acknowledging that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is embodying the truth of God and understanding and appreciating that God's truth is not only real, but is ultimately for our best design in life. And then embarking on the lifelong journey of increasingly buying into that truth to a greater degree. 
That's what a life of faith is. It's not just cerebrally appreciating who God is and that God is truth. It's buying in to his truth in ever-increasing ways. And when you make that choice to live that way, you begin to do what the scriptures call living in the truth. And you start to seek out the truth of God. You start to know Jesus better. And as you do, and as you understand and learn new truth about and of God, you apply it to your, to your life to a greater degree, and it begins to permeate and make a difference where you're not just telling truth to a greater degree because that's part of the truth of how God would want us to live. You're beginning to experience the implications of the truth catching in your life. Jesus described it this way. In John 8, 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, meaning this is what it really means to follow me. And he says, then you will not only know the truth, he says, the truth will set you free. By believing that God is truth and God has our best interest in mind and his truth is the best for us, we begin to know it and incorporate it and live it. And as we do, it sets us free and enables us to become all that God intends us to be. And what's more so, then that truth begins to change the way that we relate to other people. Not just the way that we talk, but the way that we relate to people in our hearts. Because if we really believe and are really experiencing the difference that the ultimate truth of God for our best makes, we start to realize that that truth is what other people in their lives need to a greater degree. That people need to hear God's truth, the truth about their life and choices and priorities and values. And we don't say that judgmentally or to hurt people. We say that because we love them. We say that because we're understanding that it's God's best for us that we want to share with them. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 means when the Apostle Paul says, Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Love looks at the truth as something to broker and to give and to share for other people's benefit because we care about them, which really disentangles one of the lies that I think many of us believe when it comes to truth. Now, most of us believe that, you know, you have a choice where you could either love people or you could be truthful with people. You could either love them or be Honest. I'm sure that's, in a sense, what Jim Carrey is wrestling with. I'm going to be nice to people or I'm going to tell them the truth. And, and the truth of God is that the most loving thing that we can do is be honest. And the converse is also true. That the most unloving thing that we can do is rob people from the truth and steal that opportunity of God's best from them. Now, having said that, I need to take a momentary time out for a commercial break here because... There are obviously times where the truth can be destructive to people, where the truth can, can be inappropriate, it can be unreasonable. Um, you know, kids, for example, don't need to know everything that adults know. So not all truth is appropriate at all times. And for sure, just so I've said it, um, you can sin by telling someone the truth, not because it's a sin to tell the truth, um, but because of the way in which you're telling the truth, because of the motivation or the means by which you're telling a person the truth. You know, where you're telling it to beat them down or get a, an edge on them or out of envy or to spite, or you're telling it, you know, harshly or rudely or inconsiderately or insensitively or, you know, poorly timed. And, you know, there's a lot that we need to wrap around the truth that we share with people the honesty that we express to people, which is why in Ephesians 4, it says that it's when we speak the truth in love 
that we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. This passage, this verse is saying that God's best manifests itself in all of us through the truth when we speak that truth in love. For today's purposes, though, I feel like before we're going to be people who are speaking the truth in love, we've got to be people who love the truth and are abandoning the lie that the truth is something to be avoided. Now, I think in our day and age, even in the church, the, the truth kind of has a bad rap. The truth is sort of one of those things that, you know, gives us, a, you know, give it to me straight, doc, kind of a kind of a feeling and you know we feel that way because truth inherently in our minds is is bad not all not all truth is bad the the whole truth isn't necessarily just the hard truth and i think some of us need to appreciate that to encourage to affirm to appreciate and to acknowledge is you know positive things is is just as much a part of the truth and when we withhold those truths we're, in that sense, being as dishonest and lying as much as when we withhold, you know, loving confrontation or accountability or discipline, some of those harder-to-hear truths. You know, and even then, we get tripped up with this other lie that the, the truth hurts. And that's part of why the fear that, you know, drives us and triggers lying kind of kicks in because we're afraid to hurt other people and we're afraid of being hurt because we've hurt other people and all of the relational damage and whatever can be done, you know, there are times, and the scriptures appreciates it, that truth can be painful for a moment. The scriptures say, you know, kisses or wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Because at the end of the day, truth that comes from God, the truth, out of God's best interest in mind for us, is the best gift that we can give one another. And even at times, if it may hurt, even at times, if it may sting, if done in love for the right reasons, with the right motives, in the right way of delivery, it is for the benefit of people. The truth at the end of the day doesn't hurt. The truth, Jesus says, sets us free. So the question is, if we can get our head and heart around those realities, how can we become truth-telling people to a greater degree? I think practically speaking, as I thought about it a little bit um, there are kind of two sides to the truth-telling coin. You know, one is, you know, just, again, anchoring our own hearts in who God is. That is the truth. That his truth is the best for us. And that in seeking to live it and tell it and share it with others, we're going to live out and share God's best. And when we do, um, we need to take some practical steps to deliver and, and, you know, help share the truth in a more effective way. I think there are some practical ways that we can that we can do that are some, some tips that might help. One that has helped me over the years I'm trying to grow in is appreciating that even when I feel like I'm sharing the truth, I probably don't have all of the truth at my disposal. And a humility that goes to God in prayer first, a humility that seeks wise counsel to try to discern the truth instead of assume that I have the truth, that I have the market cornered on truth is a... A really helpful step. I think that we're do, when we're doing truth telling, you know, even small truths or big, you know, heavy or significant truths, we need to appreciate that truth telling takes a lot more time. 
It's much slower, and we need the pace of our lives to slow down. We need to create environments and moments that are conducive to the kinds of conversations where truth-telling can take place. That's one of the things in the Jim Carrey clip that you notice is he's just whistling through the office, and it's more expedient. It's more efficient to lie. He doesn't have the time to, to get into what it would take to properly tell the truth, to be an, an honest person. And then another thing that I found very helpful, especially lately, is you know, when you're sharing the truth, it's actually much more helpful to be more of a listener than a talker. It's much more productive, even when your goal is to share truth with somebody, to start by asking some questions and to seek truth together. Help me understand how you're seeing this. I'm noticing this. Is that real? You know, what are your feelings about this? What do you think? And to kind of co-develop, certainly you're going to share your perspective on truth, but to kind of co-develop that, that truth and seek out that truth of God together. I think that those are the kinds of things if we're, if we're willing to take God seriously and to be honest and speak truth to each other to a greater degree that we can do that can be really helpful and make us more effective truth tellers. But it kind of walks us into the other side of the equation that I think is equally important today. And that is to be the kind of people that also help truth tellers tell the truth to us. To be the kind of recipients who make it conducive and comfortable and easy for others to be truth tellers for us and to us and in our lives. And I say that because I feel like one of the, one of the most common features or one of the most growingly, growing pervasive features in our, in our culture these days is this, this postmodernism that says what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me and who am I to judge? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to affirm your choices regardless of what they are. And I, I've heard our culture these days described as an everyone gets a trophy culture. You know, there's no right or wrong anymore. There's no winners or losers. Everybody gets a trophy. No matter how you're good you are and everyone can think they're a winner. And, and what, that, what that's done, I've noticed more these days than ever. Is, is it tends to drive people, when they're not hearing what they he want to hear from certain people, they'll kind of push those people away. And they'll gravitate more towards people who will actually agree with them and tell them the things that they want to hear. And in that sense, kind of organize their lives around people who will give them a trophy instead of, you know, people who will tell them maybe they, they, they think that their choices are, are off. And it, it makes me think of, a comment the Apostle Paul makes to the Galatian church in Galatians 4 where he says there, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I now become your enemy by telling the truth? I think, gang, as a society and even as a church community, we do that at times. We make the truth teller our enemy. And in that sense, the bottleneck to a truth-telling culture is not just the dishonesty and inability of truth-telling of the teller, it's an inability or a desire, a lack of desire to even want to live in reality in recipients in the first place. And I feel like together, if we can anchor ourselves in the God of truth and appreciate that his truth is for our best and incre increasingly exercise the kind of faith that buys into God's best for us, we can grow in becoming truth seekers and we can grow in becoming truth sharers. I said at the beginning that, you know, this might have been a break from the 
heaviness of the real deep, you know, heart condition checks that we've been doing these last number of weeks. I, I hope that you get the sense that this morning Jesus in a lot of ways is asking us to look deeper than maybe any of us have looked up to this point. And I don't know about you, but as I've thought about it this past week, I kind of feel like if we could become a culture of truth tellers, if we could become a culture that seeks and shares God's truth honestly and fully lovingly with one another, I feel like when it comes to anger and things like lust and divorce and marriage and things, I feel like the tide of all of those boats could go up in our lives and in our community. I think this could be arguably the single greatest difference-making step that you and I could take in our lives with God and in our community together. You know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Mike's comments last week when he talked about uh, some friends in, in his world whose marriage was falling apart. And how devastating it was and how, how much he was entering into and sharing their pain for the experience of the, the reality of you know, separation and potentially divorce in, in their lives. And I, I got to tell you, I know, I know what he feels like. I, I shared a number of times, if you were around this past fall, um, through the month of September, it felt like again and again and again I was running into situations with friends and family and you know, people in my circles who who were traveling this road and just again and again and again I was being exposed to the the heartbreak and the agony of you know all that is involved in in marital separation and divorce and you know especially when kids are involved and thinking about just how gut-wrenching and heartbreaking it is when the, those little boys and girls have to hear you know stare their parents in the face and hear that sentence that mommy and daddy aren't going to be living together anymore and oh my goodness that just breaks my heart but you want to know something that breaks my heart even more, especially in light of today? That when it comes to many of those situations, at least the ones that I've been exposed to, I actually feel like a lot of those heartbreaking conversations and realities could actually have been prevented had anyone wanted to give even a time zone nears care of the truth and reality in their lives. And I hope that isn't overly offensive. I, I, I just feel like that's the truth. I, I, I've watched it in people's lives again and again and again over years and even decades where, you know, it starts out as a little bit of apathy towards God that translates into a little bit of apathy towards people of faith and church community. And, you know, then that becomes a little more apathy towards the things of God and a little more hunger and eagerness towards the things of this world and materialism and careers and status and you know, things that God cares a lot less about. And that sometimes translates into busyness and, and, you know, lack of margin and translates into certain other heart conditions and apathy towards spouse and neglect of kids. And, and what starts out is those little, buying into those little lies. So many times, gang, it's those choices unspoken into, disinterested in voices of truth. It's those little choices that end up becoming the lies and the betrayal and the affairs and the drastic dishonesty that's so devastating and so painful years and decades later. And I got to tell you, gang, as I've thought about it this week, I've thought, when in situations like that, when are we going to be a people? When are we going to be a community that just says enough's enough? 
Enough kids having to hear that from their moms and dads. Enough families having to go through the heartbreak of separation and divorce. And uh, enough, enough. When are we going to be those people? When are we going to be those people who care for each other enough that we're going to speak the truth and pursue each other enough to keep speaking the truth and to fight for the truth of God in one another? When are we going to be people who care about God and each other enough to seek out the truth and make it more conducive? When are we going to say enough's enough? You know when Jesus says we're going to say enough's enough? When in our hearts, the person we believe more than the liar and the father of lies is the God of truth who made us, who loves us, who sent his son to die and rise again so that we could pursue his truth. We could live his truth, translating into sharing his truth, seeking his truth, and experiencing the setting free and becoming all that God wants to be because of his truth. Will you and I, for real, seriously, (laughs) pinky promise, Commit to God to become the kind of people where truth isn't just vocabulary. Truth is the condition of our hearts because of who it is that we're trusting our lives in. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we just want to pause for a moment and confess, as ugly as it is, That that word liar applies to us. That word liar applies to me. And it doesn't just apply once in a while. It applies, like the Jim Carrey character, many times every day of our lives. And I pray today for an awakening. I pray that you would speak to the deepest levels of our heart. Help us to realize where that comes from. Help us to realize the opportunities, the blessings, the wonder of what our lives can look like where we live in your truth in increasing ways and help us to anchor ourselves more than anything in who you are, God, and in your best for us, rejecting the father of lies, embracing you as our heavenly father, as the God of truth, and letting you and your truth be God and be that truth in our lives, in our families, in our church community, across Niagara and around the world to a greater degree. May the truth of your kingdom come and the truth of your will be done in our lives and our community as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.